6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck begins his teaching on the book of Psalms, chapters 101 through 106. So we're in the second session on book four, picking up book four about Psalm 101. And uh, so it, this is a Davidic Psalm, and... Uh, it begins another little group, in this case, six psalms, 101 to 106. The rest, in other words, the remainder of this, this, this the book four, that speak of praise to the king. Now, this one is a song to the king who rules in righteousness and judgment. And you can look at this psalm either of two ways. Some commentators like to call it Leadership 101 because it describes... It sounds, if it was penned by David, uh, it would be penned very early in his career. Um, but at the same time, you'll see in many ways it can't really fit David because he doesn't measure up to this exactly. So other commentators really focus on the fact that this must be prophetic of Christ himself. So I think both perceptions have some validity. We'll judge it as we go. It's a Psalm of David. He says, I will sing of mercy and judgment unto thee, O Lord, will I sing. I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. O when wilt thou come unto me, I will walk within my house with a perfect heart or complete heart. Now, trying to apply this to David's a little difficult because he certainly wasn't perfect in every way. On the other hand, he had the right intentions and he really has quite a track record when we stand back and look at it, but he did make some mistakes. We're not here to make this his report card. We're just going to hear what the psalmist is saying. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. And the word wicked here really, it, it, the term implies a thing of Belial, if you will, or Belial. A froward heart shall depart from me. I will not know a wicked person. Whoso privately slandereth his neighbor, him will I cut off. Him that hath a high look. In a proud heart will not I suffer. Mine eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He that walketh in a perfect way, he shall serve me. So this is certainly a lot of good intentions from David's point of view. Uh, it is also descriptive of what we should do. So in that sense, it can be looked at as a leadership 101 kind of thing. He that worketh deceit shall not dwell within my house. He that telleth lies shall not tarry in my sight. You know, it's interesting how just the beginning of deceit and lies in positions of power become infectious, contagious. It's astonishing to look back at a number of different administrations. I'm not pointing to any particular one, but how corruption corrupts all that come in touch with it. So a strong leader won't tolerate that, will not tolerate deceit of any kind. He that telleth lies shall not tarry in my sight. I will early destroy all the wicked out of the land. 
that I may cut off all wicked doers from the city of the Lord. Well, if this was David, that's the psalm, if that's David, he certainly had some failures. He had real family problems. His sin with Bathsheba, of course, set a bad example, not just for the, for the whole family. Second Samuel 11. He failed to discipline Amnon and Absalom for their sins. He had problems with his generals, Joab and Abishai. And his own trusted counselor, Ahithophel, betrayed him. So these are certainly indications that he had some failures. Um, We don't have to dwell on them. We've talked about them in some of the previous Psalms. At the same time, if we stand back and take a look at David, let's not ignore his achievements. He reigned for 40 years. He expanded the borders of the kingdom. He defeated all of their enemies, all of Israel's enemies. He's the one that gathered the wealth for the temple. Solomon got to build it, but David paid the bills in advance. He wrote the Psalms, a formidable feat in its own right. He established a dynasty that eventually brought the Messiah into the world. And for all of this, what does the scorecard look like? The city of Jerusalem, from which God is going to rule the planet Earth, is known as the city of David. In fact, Jesus himself has a title used many times in the New Testament, the Son of David. So David, with all his faults and all his missteps and all his problems, still is one that God smiles on and can say, he's a man after my own heart. Now, if we take the psalm and really apply it more to Jesus himself, we know that his, uh, before his incarnation, Christ said, Then said I, lo, I, come, I am come to do thy will, O God. And the volume of the book is written of me. He quotes that in Hebrews 10.7 from Psalm 40. We looked at that then. While the Lord was on the earth, he stated that his meat and drink were to do the will of the Father who sent him. And he did that perfectly. And uh, so he waited patiently for that hour, which he called my hour, when he wrought your salvation and mine. So clearly he was focused. He accomplished his mission. Today, as a result, he's at God's right hand and is still doing the will of the Father. He's waiting for that hour when the Father will send him into the world again because the Father said to him, remember in Psalm 110, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. That's where Christ is today. Again, always has and still continues doing the Father's will. We're told that all things, here's the, here's the ultimate goal. This verse from 1 Corinthians has a, a lot of comment. When all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject to him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. His goal is to bring back together the order that was originally in the universe, to bring it all back into the Father's will. Okay, uh, we could deal theologically on that topic all night long. Let's just move on to Psalm 102. This is a prayer, this is a prayer for t- sorrow and uh, trouble. And it's a messianic psalm if you visualize it taking place in Gethsemane. Gethsemane. And uh, we will find out before it's over that the Holy Spirit has marked this psalm out as a messianic psalm. You know, we don't, we don't generally call a psalm messianic 
just because it is prophetic of the Messiah. We usually restrict that designation to those that are acknowledged as such in the New Testament. And uh, so, for what that's worth. Okay. This is, this is tabbed, a prayer of the afflicted when he is overwhelmed and poureth out his complaint before the Lord. So I submit to you that Gethsemane would fit. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come unto thee. Hide not thy face from me in the day when I am in trouble. Incline thine ear unto me in the day when I call, answer me speedily. For my days are consumed like smoke, and my bones are burned as on a hearth. My heart is smitten and withered like grass so that I forget to eat my bread. By reason of the voice of my groaning, my bones cleave to my skin. I am like a pelican of the wilderness. I am like an owl of the desert. I watch and am as a sparrow alone upon the housetop. Mine enemies reproach me all the day. And they that are mad against me are sworn against me. For I have eaten ashes like bread and mingled my drink with weeping. Because of thine indignation and thy wrath, for thou hast lifted me up and cast me down. The words indignation and wrath are the strongest terms you can use in the Hebrew language. And why did the Lord endure this? For the joy that was set before him, Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 12 too. My days are like a shadow that declineth. And I am withered like grass, but thou, O Lord, shalt endure forever, and thy remembrance unto all generations. Thou shalt arise and have mercy upon Zion for the time to favor her. Yea, the set time is come. For thy servants take pleasure in her stones and favor the dust thereof. So the heathen shall fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth thy glory. When the Lord shall build up Zion, he shall appear in his glory. He will regard the prayer of the destitute and not despise their prayer. You know that verse 16 is an interesting one. When the Lord shall build up Zion, he shall appear in his glory. I think that's a very interesting verse. This shall be written for the generation to come, and the people which shall be created shall praise the Lord. For he hath looked down from the height of his sanctuary. From heaven did the Lord behold the earth to hear the groaning of the prisoner, to loose those that are appointed to death. To declare the name of the Lord in Zion and to his praise in Jerusalem when the people are gathered together and the kingdoms to serve the Lord. He weakened my strength in the way. He shortened my days. I said, O oh my God, take me not away in the midst of my days for the, thy years are throughout all generations. Of old hast thou laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou shalt endure. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment. As a vesture thou shalt change them, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall have no end. Verse 26 of Psalm 102 is often pointed to as one of the entropy laws, second law of thermodynamics where the universe is winding down. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment. As a vesture, thou shalt change them. Because we know the universe is winding down to an ultimate heat death, just in terms of physics, physics alone. 
but thou art the same. Thy years shall have no end. Hebrews chapter 1 alludes to this thing. Uh, and thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest, and they shall wax old as a garment. As a vesture, thou shalt fold them up, and they shall be changed, but thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. So the writer to Hebrews quotes this psalm and, and applies it to the Messiah. So it's for that reason we call that psalm clearly a messianic psalm. Okay? And it concludes, the children of thy servants shall continue, and their seed shall be established before thee. So clearly, Psalm 102 applies to Jesus Christ. It's his, it's his prayer of sorrow and trouble. And this is the king in Gethsemane, I suspect, his humiliation before his exaltation. And, and that is set forth in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. Who in the days of his flesh, when he hath offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. And it goes on. The Hebrews writer is talking about our Messiah. But again, ties this back to his prayers and supplications with the strong crying and tears and so forth. So that's the wrap up, if you will, of that psalm. Let's move on to Psalm 103. And this is a delightful psalm of praise. There are no requests in it. It's all praise. Psalm 103. It's one you may want to memorize. It's divided into four parts. The admonition for the present, a declaration concerning Yodhe or Jehovah, if you will, declaration concerning man, and a proclamation for the future. This is as J. Vernon McGee's outline um, that, that he uses, and I've chosen it here. So let's take a look at the uh, admonition for today. Little two verses that open this that are great little doxology or benediction. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Easy to remember. And all that is within me. All appears nine times in this psalm. And by the way, with my tongue in my cheek, I usually point out this is a great psalm when you discover you've started dinner and hadn't said grace yet. Use Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. See? <laughs> Bless his holy name. <laughs> and forget. <laughs> but by the way, just so you know about those things, uh, the Jews pray before and after every meal. So you might uh, give that some thought. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. That says it all. Then he has a declaration concerning yod heh Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with the loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. Wow. So that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. I found out my wife's secret. I've been married to a 20-year-old for, for 50 years. And now I know how she renews her youth, why she is so lovely. Right there. Right there. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. So the third part is a declaration concerning man. We've talked about 
Yorivade, let's talk about man. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. Wow. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. You know, if God dealt with us according to our sins and according to our iniquities, none of us would be saved. Praise God that he doesn't do that. It's interesting that the psalmist doesn't say as far as the north is from the south, because the north from the south is what? 4,000 miles, right? In rate, isn't it there, or is it 8,000? It's 8,000, because it's 4,000 radius, right, the world? The point is it's a finite number. From north to south pole is a finite distance. From the east to the west is forever. That's an infinite distance. Because you keep going east or going west, you can, you can keep going west, you know, forever. So... One's infinite. One's finite. One's infinite. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passes over it and is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. And then we have a proclamation for the future. For the, but the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him, and his righteousness unto children's children, to such as keep his covenant, to those that remember his commandments, to do them. Aye, there's the rub. Hmm? The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. You can't avoid sin, but you certainly don't want to avoid dealing with it. Remember the Christian's bar of soap. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. Not us. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can depend on his faithfulness. Because we will, when we do stumble, he's there. Pick us up. The Lord prepared his throne in the heavens. His kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, ye his angels that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Bless ye the Lord, all ye hosts, ye ministers of his that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And the key word there is mine. Does your soul bless him? Bless the Lord, O my soul. Okay. Now we have a psalm of praise to the creation itself. And as you if you study this, when you get home with your notes, you might review this psalm and put it right alongside Genesis chapter 1. They're not exactly in step, but provocatively so. Bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord my God, thou art very great. Thou art clothed with honor and majesty, who covers thyself with light as with a garment, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain. This first direct quote of God in the book of Genesis, let light be, right? Who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, who layeth the beams of his chambers in the waters, who maketh the clouds his chariot, who walketh upon the wings of the wind. Boy, oh boy, oh boy. And... Uh, See, on that second day of creation, he talked about stretching out the heavens and the ferment, the, the ferment uh, in the midst of the waters and let the waters divide the waters. 
Is this just a metaphor, stretching the heavens? We see that all through the scripture. He alone stretches out the heavens in Job 9. Stretching out the heaven like a tent curtain in Psalm 104 we just read. Uh, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. So Isaiah 40. He stretches out the heavens in Jeremiah 10. The Lord stretches out the heavens in Zechariah chapter 12. In fact, we could quote a lot of places where he says that. There's quite a bunch of them. We know today that space, that we call empty space, is not really empty. It's not an empty vacuum, contrary to our popular belief. Isaiah tells us it can be torn. Psalm 102 tells it can be worn out like a garment. Remember that? It can be shaken, according to Hebrews 12, Haggai 2, and Isaiah 13. It can be burnt up in 2 Peter 3. It can split apart like a scroll in Revelation 6. Aha, uh -huh. and it can be rolled up like a mantle or a scroll in Hebrews 1 and Isaiah 34. That's a clue, because for something to be able to be rolled up, there's some sense it has to be thin, and there must be some dimension it can be bent toward, if you will, right? So there must be a dimension which can be thin, a space can be bent, so there's direction that it can be bent. So we know that space has more than the three dimensions we're aware of. And that's the great discovery of 20th century science. There are additional spatial dimensions. We now suspect there's at least 10 of them, four are directly measurable, six are curled in less than 10 to the minus 35 centimeters. So that's interesting. We can go into all of that. We do in our Genesis commentary. We'll pick it back. Let's pick up Psalm 104 and keep going here. Who maketh his angels, spirits, his ministers a flaming fire? Who laid the foundations of the earth that it should not be removed forever? And uh, thou coverest with a deep as with a garment the water stood above the mountains. And at thy rebuke they fled. At the voice of thy thunder they blasted away. Third day of creation, God said, let the waters in heaven be gathered together under one place and let the dry land appear. And uh, he put the waters above and clouds do carry quite a bit of water, by the way. And he divides the land and the waters and so on. If they go up by the mountains, they go down by the valleys into the place whereof thou hast founded for them. Thou hast set a bound that they may not pass over that they turn not again to cover the earth. He sendeth the springs into the valleys which run among the hills. And uh, they give drink to every beast of the field. The wild asses quench their thirst. By them the fowls of the heaven have their habitation which sing among the branches. He watereth the hills from his chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of thy works. He causes the grass to grow for the cattle the herb for the service of man, that he may bring forth food out of the earth, and the wine that maketh glad the heart of man, and the oil to make his face to shine, and the bread which strengtheneth a man's heart. You know, one of the things we take for granted is the astonishing aspect of this creation is the partnership between the plants, the animals, the air, and so forth. The plants that make the air, that, require, that then generate the plants that take the, the uh, CO2 and... and, and uh, the water, and, and, and uh, uh, generate oxygen and sugar, more sugar than the plant needs. That sugar eventually becomes food. And uh, uh, the, the, the partnership between the plants and the animals, that whole water cycle, is astonishing. And uh, the intricacy of design. Um, it's, you know, every time I watch an animal eat or even eat dinner myself, it fascinates me to see this diversity of food that we eat the body knows how to break that down, get what it needs, and pass on what it doesn't need. And uh, 
the diversity, the complexity is staggering. Uh, the design, the elegance of that, the elegance of that design is just uh, staggering. It's amazing to me. In fact, it's the definition of absurdity to ascribe the elegance of that design to random chance. That's just ridiculous. The trees of the Lord are full of sap, the cedars of the Lebanon which he hath planted, where the birds make their nests, and as for the stork, the fir trees are her house. The high hills are a refuge for the wild goats and the rocks for the conies. He appointed the moon for seasons, and the sun knoweth his going down. The sun and the moon move according to a schedule. Don't try to tell me that we live in a meaningless universe. One of the most astonishing discoveries of modern science is what they call the anthropic principle. The realization that virtually every ratio, every mathematical thing we encounter, if you adjust it just a little, life becomes impossible. There are over a hundred of those. Some, if you change it one part and over a million, life ceases to exist. The delicacy of the balances are astonishing. Not only is the universe designed for man, we now realize the universe was designed to be discovered. The frequency of sensitivities, the, distance between the, the distances and size of the moon, the earth, and so forth, the create a solar eclipse, which is what opened the door to spectroscopy to see the rest of the universe. We're located in the galaxy in that place where you can see the universe. You couldn't if you were elsewhere. And on it goes. It's just amazing. The, not only is the anthropic principle to the teleological principle, it's also recently been recognized. But let's talk about these seasons. You see, the, the, it said the, 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 the point of the moon for seasons. The, the term there is homoyadim. In Genesis 1.14, there's a verse. God said, let there be lights in the firmament of heaven to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. The word for seasons is homoyadim. It really means the appointed times. It's translated seasons. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Psalms. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. Or you can call us on 1-800-KHOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word. Mm -hmm.